You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Paul Kern. So turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, and we are going to read a few verses together and get started. Like I said, we're in part four of our study on Galatians. But we're going to start in verse 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by observing the law of Moses? Well, of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? Now I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Well, of course not. It's because you believe the message that you heard about Christ. And in the same way, Abraham believed God, And God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight by their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scripture says, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse of our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scripture, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same promise that he blessed Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Man, that is good stuff, good stuff. So let's just kind of break this down a little bit looking at church history. Throughout history of the church, some believers have begun well, they started out good. And I've seen this happen with people that I've known in church in the last 30 plus years that that I've been in church. They start out really well, but then they have been pulled away from truths that they first believed. They started out believing it, but then something slowly and, and like a current pulls them away from truth. So they receive the gospel of salvation through faith and they live a humble life by faith. But then they fall prey to some legalism following rules, trying to do certain things to be seen right in God's eyes. So the Apostle Paul 
had been used by the Lord to introduce the gospel of grace to the Galatians, okay? So this is something new because they're used to being made right in God's sight by what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders taught them. They had to follow the Mosaic law to be right with God. Now they're drifting away. So Paul had brought them this message of, of grace by faith. They were walking in that, yet all of a sudden they start drifting away from this message, this revelation, this truth that Jesus revealed to Paul and Paul brought to them. So they were accepting an inferior way based on the Mosaic rules, on ceremonial standards, on, you know, things that were not a part of the new covenant that Paul brought to reveal to them. Now, here's what's important to recognize, and I, I want all of us to see this because, you know, we're all susceptible to this. We're all in this danger because we're all believers, okay? The Galatians is written to Gentile believers, okay? So we're all susceptible to this. These defecting believers, they hadn't lost their salvation because they were following the law. They were still saved. They hadn't lost that, but they weren't they weren't walking in the joy and the freedom that they had once known that they experienced through Jesus. They had laid that down. They, they forfeited that. So they were still in Christ and right with God in a matter of position, right? Positionally, they're still right with God. But as far as practically living in conformity to the truth, that had been revealed to them about they were made righteous before God through faith in Christ, they were no longer walking in that truth at all. And so what we all have to be very aware of in our own personal lives, no matter how long you've been saved, I don't, I don't care if you've been walking with the Lord for many, many years or e either a new Christian, really no matter how long you have been saved, you have to be very, very careful that you don't get sucked into believing that you're made right with God by works because Satan is constantly trying to manipulate and deceive people into thinking that, well, I've got to pray more. I've got to give more. I've got to serve more. I've got to stop sinning less. I've got to be delivered from these addictions and these shortcomings and these human failures that I have to be made right with God. And the fact of the matter is, all of that falls into works, okay? So it's very important that we see this. God's way is by grace through man's faith. That's how you're saved. That's what we believe at Christian Ministries Church. That's what the Bible teaches us. God's way is by grace working through man's faith. Now, Satan's way is the opposite. The way of man's own effort and work is how the devil says that you're right with God. That's the pressure that he tries to put on us. And obviously, we can never live up to that. I mean, how can any of us live up to God's standards? They're holy they're perfect. We're not. The only way that we are is because of the one who is, right? 
who is Jesus. So this is what we're, we're looking at. And this deception began at the dawn of time. Go, go with me to Genesis chapter 4. Let's look at this together. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, we've got two brothers, Cain and Abel. Abel kept flocks, Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now here's what we've got to see. Cain's works of righteousness offering grain instead of animal sacrifices because that was what God required. It was the blood of an innocent animal who had done nothing wrong that acted as a substitutionary sacrifice for people. Does that make sense? So here's this animal. Now, they deserved to be punished. God took this innocent animal who had never done anything wrong, and we know the curse of sin is what? Death. The day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And so something, someone had to die because that was the curse that was pronounced. So God took an animal that was innocent, and he used that animal as a substitutionary sacrifice for man. So we see Cain did not go that way. Cain said, man, I worked hard. I planted all these vegetables. I tilled this garden. I produced this on my own. God, here you go. And it's not that God doesn't like fruit. He created fruit. I'm sure he loves them. He made them really good. It's not that God didn't like vegetables. That just wasn't what was required. That wasn't what made you right with God. So Cain represents man trying to make himself right with God through his own goodness and his own merit. That was who he was as a representative for all of mankind. So the Galatians had foolishly fallen into Judaistic legalism, what was very relevant in their culture at that time. They fell into that because they stopped believing and applying the basic truths that Paul had taught them through revelation from Jesus Christ. They moved away from that. In other words, have you ever heard somebody say, um, you know, they backslid? Well, we use that term for talking about somebody who is no longer living for God, they went back to a life of sin. But really what that really means is you have fallen from grace. In other words, you've come back under the yoke of the law. And a yoke was this deal that they put around ox and they put around mule when they were plowing fields. It was, they were beasts of burdens and this yoke went around them and it was like a burdensome thing. And so they yoked themselves back to the law, trying to be made right with God by following a lot of rules. And clearly that's what Jesus came to do away with. So the mistake that they made and the mistake that a lot of people make is they followed whims and impulses instead of Scripture. I'm going to say that again. The mistake that they made and the mistake that a lot of people make is they followed whims and impulses instead of following what they were taught, what Scripture 
communicated. The Christian life is not to be entered nor lived on the basis of good feelings. That's not the way it's meant to be lived. And it's a real temptation to do that. The Christian life is to be lived on truth, on truth. If you rely on emotion-oriented minds instead of Scripture-oriented minds, what's going to happen is, is you're going to be the person that they talk about in Ephesians chapter 4. And I, I want to read this to you. It says, you will be tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming, Ephesians 4.14. That's what will happen if you have an emotional-oriented mind instead of a scripture-oriented mind. We don't judge things based on how nice it sounds. We don't judge things based on how good it feels. Or, or we don't even judge things based on how we feel like it benefits people. We base things based on, does it come into harmony with God's word? That's how we judge right and wrong. Think about it. Most cult members, they didn't become involved in a cult because they were intellectually convinced with the doctrines that the cult was teaching were true. No, that's not why they got sucked into a cult. They got sucked into a cult because its teachings and practices were appealing. And emotionally, it, it captured them. It deceived them. It tricked them. Nobody cuts off from their talking to their family because they choose to. No, it's, it's a subtle moving over time. Their minds were not persuaded. Their emotions were victimized. And that's what the enemy wants to do to us. He wants to take our emotions and victimize us with our emotions. You, and listen, there is nothing more difficult to accept when somebody corrects you in a misunderstanding, and you are emotionally involved in that thing. In other words, you are so sincere about what you believe, and then you get corrected. There is nothing harder than accepting that. Why? Because I was so sincere. But there is such a thing as being sincerely wrong. And that's the hardest kind of wrong. Because, oh, I was just trying so hard. I, I just believed that so passionately. I just, I poured my whole self into it. Well, that does not necessarily make it true. It just sometimes makes it harder for you to accept that it is untrue. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, you guys go ahead and turn there. Let's look at this. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Paul says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that God will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. See, godly faith and obedience are established by the mind, not our emotions. I'll say that again. 
Godly faith and obedience is established by the mind and not by emotions. Emotions come and go. I mean, I can eat a burrito at 11 o'clock at night and I can have an emotional experience, trust me, especially if you put chili and cheese and, you know, and, and eat the whole thing at once, maybe even with some tater tots with some chili and cheese on the side. I mean, you, you, I mean at 11 o'clock at night, that can produce some emotion in you. Godly faith and obedience are established by the mind, not by our emotions. And, and being told that a person can please God by certain behavior, that's very appealing to the ego. Yeah, if you do this and you do this and you do this and you go to church every Sunday and, and man, and especially if you go to the midweek service too, I mean, you're like, woo, <laughs> you're one of those folks. I mean, you guys, <laughs> here you are, right? But being told that a person can please God by a certain behavior, it's, it's very appealing to the ego, which is always looking for ways to glorify itself, to puff itself up. So the Christian life is not simply this great emotional adventure that we dive into, and it's filled with, you know, goosebumps and feelings and mountaintop experiences, although we have those from time to time, and those are great, and they're wonderful, and, and, and I enjoy them. But really, the Christian life is a humble pursuit of God's truth, God's will, and us conforming to it, us conforming to God's will in our life. So, we can't please God, I'm going to say this, you can't please God by your own character and your own efforts. You can't. The only way that you can please God is through Jesus Christ, because he is the only one who is capable of pleasing God. You know, I had a guy tell me one time, he said, Paul, he said, you know, when you show up at, at the pearly gates, he said, now listen, you, you better hope that they see Jesus in you. Because he's the only one worthy of heaven. Nobody else is getting in. Jesus is the only one that deserves heaven. And that's why Colossians says, when we're born again, when we ask Christ to come inside of us and we put all of our eggs in the basket of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, basically what we're saying is, is you know, Jesus, you're, you're it. It's nothing else. There's, I, I can't add to, I can't take away. It's, you know, when I stand there, when they look, they see Jesus. Colossians says we are hidden in Christ, hidden in Christ. Now, Galatians chapter 3 Verses 6 through 14, it talks about Abraham. Abraham was the father of the, the Hebrew race. He was the one that they all identified with and looked up to. He was a very important personality uh, in their culture. So Paul uses Abraham as positive proof that the Old Testament teaches that salvation is by faith rather than than by works. It's not about how much you go to church or how much you pray or how much you give to the poor or whether you volunteer or do any of these things, which all those things are great. I mean, they're, they're all expressions of gratitude and they're all expressions of a, a transformed life, right? Those are fruit that come as a result of us being grafted into and being influenced by the root, 
who is Jesus Christ. So we see this. So Paul gives this proof that the Old Testament teaches salvation is by faith. And, and he does so by pointing to the father of the Hebrew race, Abraham. Now, the Judaizers would have used Abraham as certain proof that circumcision was absolutely necessary to please God and to be acceptable to him. So let, let's look at this together. Everybody go to Genesis chapter 12. We're just doing a little Bible study together. This is what they would have looked at. Genesis 12, we'll start with verse 1. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, go to the land that I will show you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make you famous. You'll be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Then skip over to chapter 17, verse 9. This is later in Genesis. God said to Abraham, your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between you and me. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. This applies not only to the members of your family, but also to servants born in your household and to foreign-born servants whom you have purchased. All must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. Any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. So by putting these two events together, the Judaizers would argue isn't it obvious that if the rest of the world, that is Gentiles, and this is who we're dealing with right now, are to share in the promised blessings of Abraham, then they have to take the sign that marks them as God's people. That was their argument. That was what they were presenting. Paul showed them, though, that that doesn't follow. See, they had their timeline of events out of order. So Paul shows them, hold up, guys, you've got the cart before the horse. It doesn't work like that. The horse has got to pull it. You can't get it out ahead. You're out of order here in the way you laid this out. So in Genesis 15, verse 6, it says, And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his what? Circumcision? Faith. Let's look at that again. Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. See, the Judaizers had ignored the fact that scripture said that Abraham was made righteous because he believed God's promise by faith and that God required Abraham to be circumcised many years later. This came years later after this promise and how he was made right with God by faith. Now, let's go to one more scripture. Go to, go to Romans again and go to chapter four. We're, we're flipping pages or working with our Bible app. We're getting a little exercise here. 
Romans chapter 4, verse 7. And, and basically, we're going to read, well, let's start with verse 9. Verse 9. Now, is this blessing only for the Jews? Or is it also for uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we've been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. And this was not a matter of debate. Everybody clearly knew that that was exactly what the Torah had taught them. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham had already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him righteous. Did y'all hear that? Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and God had already declared him righteous, even before he was circumcised. So, Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith and have what? Not been circumcised. They're counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith as Abraham before he was circumcised. So the Judaizers, like most Jews of the day at this time, had completely reversed relationship into circumcision and following the rules of, of God's law. They just reversed it. It's, you know, a terrible thing to do. And so, you know, they were very religious, pious looking guys, but they didn't know God. And they certainly didn't derive their righteousness by faith. They thought, you know, we read about them, you know, tooting their own horn and, and look at me, I'm giving to these poor people and they'd pray out loud and people would look at them and go, wow, man, they're really, man, those guys are those righteous dudes right there. No, they weren't. So Romans chapter two, listen to this. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision, true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. It is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And see, that's why the Bible says you must be born again. It's not just you going to church and following rules. It's you literally had an encounter with the same man that Jesus had an encounter, uh, that Paul had an encounter with on the road to Damascus, Jesus Christ, and his life was changed forever. He was a completely different person. See, a person with a changed heart, he seeks praise from God, not from people. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were looking to get their pat on the back from people. But when a person is born again, they look to get their pat on the back from God. And they know that they get that pat on the back from God by believing in his wonderful son who gave his life for us to make us righteous in God's sight. Can I have an amen? See, the Jews thought because they were descendants of Abraham that they were the spiritual and racial heritage of Abraham. But in reality, really in reality, they were descendants of Cain. Yeah. 
What did Cain bring? The works of the ground, his own labors, what he planted, what he plowed, what he harvested. That's what he brought. See, and they fall into this same lineage right here. They weren't descendants of Abraham. No, they were falling in line with descendants of Cain, who in rejecting God's way, not only followed his own way, but also Satan's. What did, it, what did Cain end up doing? He killed his brother. He was envious. He was jealous. He was full of hate and anger. All the, all the things that the carnal nature thrives on and produces, he allowed those things to rise up with him and take over his life. And ultimately, well, the wages of sin is what? Death. Every single time in our life. See, Jesus made it clear. No matter what physical lineage a person may have, I don't care what bloodline you come through, I don't care what your race is, your economic status, what side of the tracks that you were born on, none of that really matters. No matter what physical lineage a person may have, he does not, if he does not have faith in God, he is not a spiritual descendant of Abraham. The only way that you can be a spiritual, a true spiritual descendant of Abraham is the same way Abraham was, by faith. You have to follow in that same footstep and in that same pattern. So what does that mean? Well, that means that it doesn't matter if your grandfather was a preacher. It doesn't matter if your mom and dad were good Christian people and they honored God with their life. It, it doesn't matter if your best friend has a really good relationship with the Lord, none of that matters. None of that matters. You personally, as an individual, must believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son, that Jesus Christ was born into this world by a virgin, that He lived His life, that He followed all of the laws of God perfectly, he fulfilled each and every one. And then Jesus died on a cross. He took upon himself the penalty of death, the curse of sin that we all owed. He shed his blood. He paid that price. He died. He was buried. He resurrected as the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's each one of us personally have to come to that conclusion in that place in our own lives. And it doesn't matter if your grandfather believes that or your parents believe that or your friends or whatever. It's got to be us personally, personally. So, so let's make sure we're clear on this point. No one is saved or not saved based on race or ethnicity in their identity. It has nothing to do with that. People who are saved are saved because of their faith in Jesus, and those who are lost are lost because of their unbelief. They don't believe. They deny that Jesus is the Messiah. They deny that that is the way that you are made right with God. They believe it's… Now, a lot of people believe Jesus, but they believe it's Jesus plus going to church, or it's Jesus plus doing good deeds, or it's Jesus plus Paying, praying so many, you know, a certain amount of time a day or, or each week. It's Jesus plus. So let me wrap up our time together. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Everybody go back, go back to our original chapter. 
Galatians 3, 13 and 14, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on a cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, for it is written in the scripture, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. In ancient Judaism, a criminal who was executed, usually by stoning, I mean, that's normally the way it happened, they were tied to a post when they were stoned, a type of tree where the body would hang until the sunset as just kind of a visible representation that they were rejected by God as they hung on this, this post, this, this tree. <clears throat> And it wasn't that that person became cursed because they hung on that tree. No. They were hanged on a tree because they were cursed. And Jesus wasn't cursed because he hung on a tree. Jesus was cursed because of us. Because of our sins, because of our wrongdoings, Jesus became a curse for us. He bore the curse of sin and the broken law in our place. He took the punishment that we owed. Your sin. My sin. Jesus took it all. And really, church, there's a lot of other things that we do, but that's all that matters. That's the simple gospel. That's what it's all about. We can debate and talk about a lot of things. It can be very, very complicated. But the fact of the matter is, this is what Jesus came to do. What Jesus accomplished on the cross for us is final and it's complete. You can't add to it by trying to be a good person, trying to do good things, trying to live a godly life, which we all should want to do that because that's the evidence of the Spirit living inside of us. I naturally want to live right for God now because Jesus lives inside of me because that's the heart of Jesus. He wants to live a life that's pleasing to the Father. Well, I want to live a life that's pleasing to the Father. Why? Because Paul Kern's good? No, because Jesus lives in me and he is good. See, that, that's what changed my life. This is why it is by faith in Jesus and his sacrifice that we're justified, that we're reconciled, and that we're saved. And when a person receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they receive the promised blessing that Paul describes that were on the Hebrew people who through Abraham by faith received it, and now for the Gentile people. So obviously what we can all do tonight is we can say, thank you, Jesus. Jesus, thank you that I don't have to strive and work and toil and labor to make God love me, to make God accept me. You know, maybe you blew it today. I'm getting ready to close. Maybe today you blew it. Maybe you were ugly today. Maybe you were rude today. Maybe you looked at pornography today. Maybe you did drugs today. Maybe you drank today. Maybe you yelled at someone today. Maybe you responded to your children the wrong way today. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're positionally right with God regardless of what you do. 
See, a lot of people grow up and they're taught that, well, what if I sin and I die? You'll go to hell. That's what people are taught. So what, what if I did nine good things in the week and I did one bad thing and that one bad thing I never repented of and I died, I'm, am I going to go to hell? And, and there's people that teach, yep. I've been in those churches. But what I'm wanting our church to know, that's the furthest thing from the truth. Jesus, you put all your eggs in his basket. All of them. I tell Jesus all the time, Jesus, <laughs> buddy, when I stand before the Lord, I'm telling you, I am 100% counting on you. It's like I jumped off of a cliff and I'm hanging onto a rope and Jesus is the rope. If that rope ain't real, I'm in serious trouble. Because Jesus, that's all I got is you. I'm not dependent upon Paul Kern's goodness because Paul Kern's goodness comes and goes. Ask my wife. But Jesus' goodness, it never changes. Never, ever changes. It is by faith in Jesus that we are all made right with God and stay right with God, regardless of what we do or we don't do. Amen? Amen. Stand with me. Let's give God a hand clap. Let's give Jesus a hand clap. He's the one that deserves one for sure. All right, let's pray together. God, we thank you. We thank you for the truth of your word. May it build confidence in our heart, God, knowing positionally we are right with you because of Jesus. And there's nothing that we can do or not do that will change that. God, we put our complete confidence and faith in you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great night. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.